At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, August 21st, 2022. We are joined here in the, the fourth week of the um, post Vince McMahon era. Chris Gullo's microphone is already rumbling and bumbling. Hello. <laughs> Just moved it a little closer. That's all. We're good. We'll be good. It's, uh, it is, yeah, it's a uh, beautiful Sunday morning here after it rained uh, uh, in Buffalo overnight, which is great because my grapes, I didn't talk to you about this, Brandon. My grapes oh, thank you. are great. almost ready. Like, They're I know we have ready, ready, ready for what? To, to be picked and eaten. Oh, wow. I'm growing Concord grapes and Niagara green grapes. and uh, Niagara green grapes. Yes. And they, they both are. Is that a species? Yeah, that's a type of grape. What is it in and, Latin? <laughs> no idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful end of the summer here. So we only have a few weeks left in summer in Buffalo, and my grapes mm-hmm. are almost ready. I know we have a couple listeners that 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 want to know about the garden update. So we were discussing off air uh, a, a potential you know, business strategy around higher tiers. Certainly, garden updates will be a part of that. <laughs> of course, uh, for, for, all, for all the hardcores out there who are f- far down the funnel. Uh, so anyway, uh, what do you want to talk about today? What should we talk about? Yeah, so uh, it's a jam-packed edition. Uh, a couple big stories this week. Of course, the Q2 uh, results for WWE are out, uh, and we'll have highlights from the press conference uh, and the results that came out from that. And kind of break down that a little bit further, what that means for business with attendance and Peacock. Uh, um, apparently, uh, WrestleMania uh 39 broke a ticket sales record. We'll get into that in a more detail. Um, we will discuss uh, the Wall Street Journal at finally reporting on the Vince McMahon Donald Trump connection with the five million dollars. Uh, G1 climax uh, was a few days ago, uh, and uh, a big story. Uh, there is no more NXT UK. It's NXT Europe next year, and there was a lot of releases that encompass that. And uh, we'll talk TV rates too. As the Big Ten got a historic billion dollar deal. Okay, so firstly, how can people get in on the conversation? <laughs> they can actually click the little dollar sign under where they can ask a question and put any dollar amount you see fit. Uh, we will uh, ask your questions as they see fit throughout the conversation today. Okay. Um, so WWE had its Q2 earnings call on Tuesday after much anticipation and waiting about, you know, was, was WWE going to uh, get Vince McMahon's uh, financial payments uh, in order so they could update the unrecorded payments to make them recorded payments? Uh, the, the funny thing here is that, you know, they said they were going to update going back to 2019. Best that I can tell, um, they only really updated the 2020 maybe they they accounted for some expense they did account for some expenses in this year 2022 um but basically they they took three million dollars of profitability off of 2021 so that 
basically the net income for 2021 was 180.4 million dollars now it's only 177.4 million dollars not a massive difference but it's something um i have not seen changes that they made to years prior to that yet um even though they did put out you know an amended 10k and amended 10q anyway the board's investigation into Vince McMahon's wrongdoing and John Laurinaitis' wrongdoing. And they said they were also going to do an investigation into the company culture. WWE said, that is substantially complete. The investigation is substantially complete. What does that mean? I don't know. Are we going to get a, a, a filing coming up soon that's going to show us all the documentation of, of the investigation? I wouldn't count on it. Um, but this is what they said in, in their 10Q, and they put a similar sentence all throughout their filing. The special committee investigation is substantially complete. Vince McMahon has retired as of July 22nd, as we all know, but he remains a stockholder with controlling interest. Um, I, I had some questions about, you know, there, there's comments in here, and Frank Riddick says on the call that Vince McMahon is going to pay for uh, some of the costs at least some of the costs related to the investigation, which, which they anticipate costing them as much as $10 million, maybe more, maybe less, throughout, throughout the rest of the year. Uh, it's already cost them, I believe, $1.7 million, something in that area. So I had some questions about whether that means that Vizipan is going to use his personal money to pay for an investigation into the use of his personal money that should have been recorded as company money, I'm very confused. And, you know, does this not just further enhance the conflict already inherent when a company investigates uh, its largest shareholders' alleged wrongdoing in a company that not only is he the largest and controlling shareholder of, but also, you know, he's got family members who are major executives in this company, including Stephen McMahon and Paul Beck. But anyway, I I did ask Sody about whether Vince was Am I understanding that correctly, that Vince is paying for this? Uh, I, did, I did reach out to WWE. I did not hear a response, though. Um, so anyway, interrupt me if you have any anything to add. Um, I, I just can't have one question. For, like, so obviously they they would report that, right? Like that, hey, we paid $10 million for this investigation. That would all have to be reported at this point, right? I mean, it would, it would certainly be recorded in their financial statements. Yes. Whether or not they would make it explicit how much they 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 spent on it, I I, I kind of think they will based on what they've already disclosed, but not not guaranteed. You know, I don't know that they would be breaking SEC rules if they didn't, because we're only talking. I mean, you know, it, it, it's like any maybe it's not, but it could be like any business deal, any transaction that they make. They don't tell us exactly what NBC Universal gives them. They don't tell us exactly what Fox gives them. I, I can deduce it sometimes because of the way that they disclose certain things. Yeah. But they don't tell us what exactly how much money they made from the video game. You know, but they tell us what their operating expenses were, which is this big bundle of stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, a bit of a hold on ads and sponsorships, according to Stephanie McMahon. She took a question from Eric Handler of MCAM Partners, one of the stock analysts, on the question and answer session on the earnings call. Uh, there's a great deal of interest around ads and sponsorships. What are we talking about when we're, when we're talking about ads and sponsorships, Chris Gull? Do you have, do you have a, a sense of what we're, t- what, we're, what we're thinking of there in terms of the viewer's experience? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think what we're talking about here is – I mean, it's honestly the crux of that 18 to 34 and 18 to 49, you know, 
push for that. You want those major sponsors and advertisers that go towards that base. And obviously WWE wants to get as many as those as possible to drive up, you know, profit. So, so I, th- and I think what they're talking about here, they're not talking about like the ads that you see during the commercial breaks for Raw and SmackDown. Th- that's handled by NBC Universal. Yeah. So that's handled by Fox. But but the on-air sponsorships, this the zombies, the Pizza Huts, the, the water, the, the water's the new one now. Or even the replay sponsored by whatever. Yeah. Um, for sure. Mike's Hard Lemonade Entrance with Shinsuke and yeah. Rick Boogs. Rey Mysterio coming out in, in, in the beer company's imagery. Anyway, uh, but a bit of a hold, according to Stephanie McMahon, who says, uh, you know, but and, and, and by the way, there's a lot of interest from, from the analysts, I guess, because they're concerned that this area, this is a big area for possible growth in their view, or it should be. And remember, part of what Business Insider reported just after Stephanie McMahon took a temporary leave of absence on May 19th, Business Insider reported that according to one insider at WWE, that Stephanie was pushed out, reportedly, by, by Vince McMahon because of the lack of you know, good performance as, as it relates to the sales of these ads and sponsorships. Um, so that's, that's what Business Insider said. Of course, she would come back to WWE sometime not, not too far from then and become interim CEO and chairwoman, and now she's permanent. But they've said and she alludes to it here in her comment, that they target $100 million in a year in this ads and sponsorships area. And if I, if I look up how much they're making in media ads and sponsorships in a given year right now, so say in 2021, uh, in that segment, they reported half, about $72 million. And they, they think they can make $100 million in revenue in this area. So Is that... Do you know what 2020 looks like? Like, is that like a substantial in, increase Six, in like, 63 point? I'm sorry, 65.3 million dollars in 2020. So she basically wants to do three times what the usual growth is. Pretty much the growth. Yeah, because it went from it was, 63 it to 71 and she wants 71 yeah. to 100. Yeah. Um, and apparently UFC, I don't I haven't seen this for myself, but apparently UFC is doing well in this area too. So anyway, her comment here that I, that I, you know, I'm sure they're all practiced very well and in, in, in not saying things that, it, that they don't want to say, but, but some actual substance here that I found, and maybe she had to say this to allude to maybe a lack of performance in the, in the quarter, although what, what, did, what did this quarter do? This quarter did 17.9 million, which is in, in, in the range of what it's been doing usually. I mean, Q1 had 19.8, Q2 had 17.9. Um, now, the Vince stuff didn't start happening until June 15th. So WrestleMania happens, and, and none, of that, none of that would be in, in uh, advertisers' minds. But anyway, what does she say here that's meaningful? We had a bit of a hold, given the current situation, but a lot of positive momentum behind that, and we are now picking up once again. A bit of a hold, given the current situation. She doesn't say what she's alluding to, but I can't imagine she's alluding to anything else. What would be a current situation? Well, obviously, the Vince McMahon scandal, and I wonder... If one of the current holds is Netflix, because we've seen Netflix do but, this cross advertising. Yes, yes, but, yes, but Netflix. I guess you, it could be because they did the zombie thing. So if yeah, you're talking that's about what the, I'm, I, I'm just thinking. Okay, the the documentary. But it could be. It could be Netflix being less interested. Didn't Netflix do the Egg movie too? Wasn't that like a Netflix movie? Probably. The Egg. 
Probably yeah. some, <laughs> some in the chat probably knows. Uh, that was a rock movie, right? Was that on Netflix exclusively? I, I think it was, yeah. I think so. My point anyway. is just that I'm, I'm just a, you know, speculating on probably one of the big – I mean, we obviously they had an issue with the Vin scandal. so. And it actually affected business. Now, they do say – she does say – go on to say in the very next sentence that SummerSlam had a 40% year-over-year growth in, in, in that area. But, uh, you know, I thought that uh, – so this is what they added. They, they had to update a lot of their risk factors because of the changes in Vincent Longer being the CEO of the company, and um, which made for great, great clickbait fodder for, for the aggregators. But one of the things that they, that they do add in here – is that although we believe that no significant business has been lost to date in relation to the special committee investigation, etc., although we believe that no significant business has been lost to date, it is possible that a change in the perceptions of our business partners could occur as a result of the investigation. So basically that's saying you know, maybe business partners don't, aren't as excited and aren't as excited to pay us as much money in dealing with us because of the results of the investigation. Um, but no significant business has been lost to date. Uh, what does significant mean? Who knows? But here's Stephanie saying we had a bit of a hold. Sounds like business wasn't as great because of Vince being Vince. And we're all sad that he's gone. Uh, some people are. So that was meaningful. Um, and I thought that the loss of the services of Vince McMahon, according to W's risk factors, could have a material adverse effect on our ability to uh, W's ability to create popular characters and creative storylines, or could otherwise adversely affect W's operations and financial performance. Uh, all along, that this 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 language has been in W's risk factors, where they just go through the gambit of things that a stockholder should know. Keep in mind, we've disclosed this to you, so that if our stock loses value for you you don't come at us and say hey you didn't warn me um but the the, the services of vince mcmahon have always been purported to be very very valuable in wb's risk factors uh more on that later the next day rights what are the next day rights chris call yeah so that is what are currently owned by hulu and that's raw and smackdown to be able to watch it the next day on demand right so there's a question, again, from Eric Handler of MCAM Partners asking uh, whether he says, I'm wondering, since you have negotiations coming up next year for Raw and SmackDown, are you better off waiting on the day two rights, that is the replay rights on Hulu, and make that part of your next Raw and SmackDown TV contract? Uh, Nikon takes that question, of course, because it has to do with media negotiations, and uh, he just he, he gives a, a vague response. Uh, top, it's top of mind, Sure. Well, we're, we're discussing and we'll, we'll figure it out. So th- that was an interesting thought. So these Hulu rights are going to expire at the end of the year, I believe. And I, I think that's what everybody believes is that these are going to expire around December, um, if not the very end of the year, the calendar year. Um, so it would make a lot of sense to me if, you know, you wanted to do, say you wanted to do a deal with Amazon. And if you want to do a deal with a streaming player like Amazon, it would make a lot of sense to be able to offer them the replay of of the show as opposed to like I can't imagine I, – I doubt Raw or SmackDown are going to end up on Amazon or are going to end up primarily or exclusively on a streaming service to be clear. To be clear, it's probably going to end up in my view on traditional TV still. But if it, if it were to end up on a, on a streaming player, 
I can't imagine that streaming player broadcasting Raw or SmackDown live, and then if you missed it live, you can't watch it on the streaming service. You know? Yeah. Be- because, It'd be a combo package because any other thing offers that. Right. So maybe it makes sense to to deal these things together. And even if W doesn't sell to, to an Amazon or I highly doubt they're going to sell to Apple TV, but maybe they're going to have a discussion with them. Uh, but I highly uh, – it, it makes a lot – more sense if you can offer that together to an Amazon. And what's the advantage of that? If Amazon makes a really strong bid, that could help run up the value of maybe the mostly linear deal that you end up making. Just the, the more aggressive bids that you can provoke from the media ecosystem, the better that um, is for WU. I want to, I want to throw this, the, this out there. Uh, have it, the NFL has recently launched NFL plus, and really what it is, it's basically replays of games. That's the crux of it. people watch this? Yeah. Like, people watch like, old games. <laughs> like replays of games that happen. I wonder if there isn't a deal that is not super beneficial for them that maybe, and, and with it being almost September, we don't have a deal announced that is kind of interesting. Would they possibly maybe think about a WWE Plus where, hey, you pay five bucks a month and you get Raw and SmackDowns on replay? And NXT and two as well. I think if you asked a WWE executive on the record about that, they would say, oh, yeah, we're considering all options and we're definitely going to figure that out. <laughs> but I, no, I don't think so. Uh, because the, the, the impression that I've gotten from, from what they've done with the network is that, you know, their line, their, their, obviously massage line is that we're not a tech company. Why would we try to do all this stuff? And let's never mind the fact that all of our consumer metrics stalled in, in the, in the mid 2010s. But I, I, I think the infrastructure and the cost of, of making that happen again would be probably not worth it. What, what, what would you get for $5 a month? I mean, you're the next day rights and, and, and you to see that. Yeah. Next day's raw smackdowns and, uh, and, and NXTs. I think they can On demand money, but, I think they can generate more money by licensing it. Even even in this increasingly challenged streaming market, I think they make more money as opposed to trying to sell this directly to consumers, right? Yeah, because you got to staff it too, and that's that's costly. Probably It'd be expense st- for for, yeah. for WWE, and there's probably expense for WWE in continuing to do something with Peacock, right? But there's you can get more money out of an NBC Universal, an Amazon, to have them. Because they're, they're investing in this business that isn't a mature business yet. So, I mean, most of them are not profitable. Uh, but to 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 give it to them, and, that, and that's basically what happened with Peacock, right? Like they're getting how much for for the Peacock deal? Average annual value? Oh, uh, well, it's two hundred and five. Two hundred. Two hundred five is SmackDown on Fox. Two hundred million dollars a year. Yes, yeah, just for the U.S. portion, which is about seventy percent of their consumption of the network content, so they're getting two hundred million dollars a year. Um, I think they were making something around one hundred and eighty million dollars in the last years of the DTC network overall. I think I'd have to look look at that. But point is, they're definitely making more to license that yeah. out to NBC Universal, who's willing to overpay for it now because they have to build up this this Peacock service now. Peacock's losing a lot of money right now, and Peacock may or may not ever be profitable. But event, this is it's such a bigger business, Comcast, NBC Universal is than WWE, that their their scale is so much bigger. 
you know, losing money or investing money is, is, is not as that much money is not as big of a deal to them. And maybe they end up bundling up with, with Paramount or Amazon or something someday. But I, I, they just have the, the bigger pockets and bigger scale to af- afford that. I only throw it out there because all the, every other major sports league seems to have a big TV deal, a streaming deal, and these extra things that they, they provide. You know, the NFL just jumped on it, but MLB's got the uh, MLB TV, and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if the NBA has one and all that, but, I mean, UFC has Fight Pass on top of the big ESPN Plus deal they have, you know, so. Yeah. G- given how much of that content already lives on Peacock, I would think it would yeah. It would end up going that that route, but and you've got to you've got Nick Khan to make a lot of deals, and apparently he's very good at that. Um, so anyway, that's that's what's happening with the Hulu. I, I this makes a lot of sense to me. I expect that to happen. In that these Hulu rights that probably don't get dealt to Hulu next year get dealt with live rights. Um, so W raises profitability guidance. Adjusted OIDA. What does WIDA stand for? It's operating income before depreciation and amortization, whatever. <laughs> I can't pronounce the word. Amortization. Amortization, uh, yes. Seth, that, yes, that's what it is. So, But not just OIDA, but adjusted OIDA, where they, that, that's their non-GAAP measure, that the non-generally accepted accounting principle measure of, of profitability, where they get to exclude stock compensation and certain other things that they whimsically decide to exclude in any event. They'll be raising its profitability guidance, saying we're going to be a little bit more profitable than we originally told you we expected to be. From $360 million to $375 million, that ranged 360 to 375 to up to 370 to 385. Uh, they also gave guidance for next quarter. This is this quarter, Q3, which runs from July 1st to September 30th. They're saying we're going to be somewhere between 70 and $80 million in adjusted to that smack dab. Uh, across what my latest estimate was, which was about $76 million. So that's, uh, you know, W expecting to be a little bit more profitable and willing to say so. Um, pretty strong consumer products segment for this Q2 report, driven by WWE 2K 2022, the video game, the console game, their first uh, traditional console game since 2K 2020 got terrible reviews. Uh, and venue merchandise sales were pretty strong too. In what ways were they were they strong? How do we know? Because they generated eight point six million dollars uh, in venue merchandise. So how much is that? That's that's basically the if I can get my laser pointer out here. That's that's the most that they've generated in a quarter in venue merch since two thousand sixteen, where they generated eight point seven million dollars. Why do you think it was higher this quarter, Chris Gall? Well, WrestleMania and. Oh. I asked, also asked this. Everything purchased at Access would obviously be included in that, right? If it was in Q2, yeah. Yeah, because the Access Superstore, I mean, I was at it in Dallas. It was huge, and there was very expensive stuff there. A lot of replica belts. Uh, replica belts. There was, like, uh, uh, a limited edition, like, Scott Hall thing that they were selling for 2500 bucks. They were selling the Undertaker Phantom Mask. 2500 bucks yes yeah they were selling some undertaker phantom mask that was one out of five and that was like i think like a grand or two grand (laughs) anyway so so they did a a really good q2 interestingly like with with two days of wrestlemania this 2016 where was wrestlemania in 2016 oh let's see new orleans was 18 was new york 16 
this is also Arlington. So this is a date oh, one Arlington. Down. Okay, that's right, yeah. Yeah, where they did a little bit more inventing merch. Um, maybe just more events, probably more events happening at that time that plays into that. Anyway, yeah. uh, here's the domestic venue merch per capita. Basically, this is how much venue merchandise we sold per paid ticket. And it was up to $17 in Q2, um, which is higher than anything in the pre-pandemic era here. Now, there's inflation involved in that, too. but uh, And there's maybe fewer of, fewer house shows in, in this Q2, in our, in our current Q2 here. So maybe that's affecting it still. This is, this is pretty high. Um, and it's higher than this return to touring quarter of Q3 of last year where they did $14 per capita. Why do you think it, Q2 21 is so high? How many events were there in, in Q2 the, 21? Just, oh, okay. So just a one, one event, but because it was, okay. Yeah. Two, two days. So it, yeah, it, two days. It, the two day WrestleMania last year, um, which is interesting. It gives you some insight into like, what does WrestleMania do? Venue merch per capita around $30. So that's pro- it. Probably did something in that in that range. Yeah, okay. something in that ballpark. And you only had order. those two events. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Um, so there's that. Um, consumer product licensing revenue was way up. Um, twenty two point six million dollars, which is the the highest since at least twenty seventeen. Um, because largely because of this video game, the console game, um, and trading cards were also also mentioned. Um. So it seems like the, the relationship with, with 2K Sports is doing better. After there's some question, there was some reporting around it that maybe, you know, the, the, if this game doesn't do well, I don't know about this relationship between Take-Two and WWE. Take-Two is the parent company of, of 2K Sports. But uh, everybody seems pretty happy with how this went. It was a well-reviewed game. It, was, it sold very well, most importantly. Uh, Take-Two mentioned W2K driving sales and in their earnings report, along with a lot of other games, but but mentioned it. And they announced that in their fiscal year, which ends March 31st of next year, uh, they're going to release 2K23. 2K, yep. right? Is that how you say it? 2K23. So the, the new game is going to come out by by the end of March next year. So they're going to do another, another release here. Which is interesting that this is a Q2 thing now, because pre-pandemic, those were always released in Q4 ready for the holidays, November uh, before Christmas. So it's interesting that they maybe saw the Q2 trends and they want to continue with it. Well, if they release by the end of March, and by the end of March, could be well before then, who knows? Um, that would be Q1. Okay. Q1 is Q1. January 1st to, to March 31st. Oh, who knows? Who knows? We'll see here. Um, Stephanie had some comments on the notion of a sale. That's what everybody wants to talk about. Nobody's going to sell. You said it yourself, Chris Gull, about a year ago, I think. W's going to sell. Did it sell? Is that what she announced here on this call? It is sold. It hasn't yet, Brandon. To Disney. It Disney has not yet. WWE. Is that true? <laughs> it's not. Apple has not bought WWE yet. Apple is never going to buy it. But anyway, um, Stephanie McMahon took this question from Brandon Ross of Lightshed, uh, and he didn't exactly say he was asking her about the sale, but she, she, she got it. She knew, she knew what she, he was getting at. Um, she also pointed out, because Brandon Ross mentioned in his question that, you know, you took this leave of absence and then you were forced to come back. And I, and I, I think she took exception to that, saying, I took a leave of absence, realizing that I needed a little bit of time with my family, given the grueling schedule. Um, and she got about three weeks in, and then she came back. She, didn't, she wasn't forced to, to come back as interim CEO and chairman. She offered... Um, so she wanted to, she says. Um, we'll pause right there and say 
I mean, just 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 a reminder here. She takes a leave of absence on March um, on May nineteenth, according to the Wall Street Journal. WWE begins its investigation in April into Vince McMahon's NDAs and payments that should have been company expenses that were personal expenses, which has led to DOJ inquiries and and possibly SEC inquiries. Um, so uh, uh, very questionable whether or not Stephanie McMahon knew about the investigation by the board into alleged misconduct by Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis, and maybe she wanted to get out of the way of that. That, that would be my speculation. But she says that she just wanted to spend time with her family, and it's purely a coincidence, of course. Um, but anyway, she's back. She's the permanent CEO, co-CEO with Nikon and chairwoman, and she says, uh, now that being said, I understand your remarks, and I think I'm reading between the lines subtly. She's referring to, I believe, the notion of a sale of the company. She goes on to say, but that being said, Vince McMahon is my father and is still very much the controlling shareholder. He is still has eyes on what is best for our business in terms of maximizing return to our shareholders, of which he is the biggest shareholder. Nick Khan, Paul Levesque, Frank Reddick, and I remain focused on delivering the maximum results for our shareholders. So we will properly evaluate any opportunity that comes our way with that lens in mind. This clearly says what? Chris Gallo. Clearly, this is a Vince doesn't want to sell. You think that you think there's meaning here? Yeah, I think it's hey, listen. Uh, the only person who can really tell you if we're truly going to sell is probably Vince McMahon because he is the lead shareholder. Because he has to approve any sale, right? I, I believe he would have to approve of any sale because he has about eighty percent of the votes. Now that doesn't mean that WWE can't explore a sale. Ultimately, the approval of that sale, yeah, will have to include Vince as long as he. He is the controlling shareholder. Um, I don't. I, I don't see any meaning here. To be, I happy. think <laughs> I will say this. I, 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 I do just kind of want to touch on this topic a little bit here. Like we don't know what Vince is doing. <laughs> we haven't had anything like maybe he's, he's doing right now. Is he on the yacht? Is he, you know, ex- exploring other hobbies? Is he? So my collecting? point was going to make is is he just like the most intense shareholder ever? And just looking at everything you possibly look at being a shareholder, like the access that you have to and and maybe that he's going to make that like no uh, you know i'm the shareholder we got a profit maximum profits for all the other shareholders like leading the shareholders i mean they look they have a fiduciary duty the executives yeah. do the remaining executives do to deliver value to their shareholders um and they would probably be uh, li- liable to a to a shareholder lawsuit if it could be proven that they were not upholding their fiduciary duties to you know if somebody offered to to buy WWE if they didn't hear that out um, but I don't see any meaning here I'm sure they I'm sure they knew questions along this these lines could be coming in the Q and A uh, and this is this is their response and I don't see any meaning here one way or the other it's fathomable it's very plausible that that Stephanie doesn't want to sell because this is a family company it's been a family company since mm-hmm. Jess. Since way back in the early 20th century, and you know, and maybe you know, if they sell to a major media company like Comcast, maybe the assurance that she will be the CEO of this company is less assured. Yeah, it's plausible. I don't I have no idea, right? Who knows? Um, so boilerplate stuff, I think. Um, the Peacock viewership, we got some got some percentage deltas for Peacock 
for the WWE content on Peacock. WrestleMania, I think this was already disclosed last quarter, but WrestleMania up 60% versus the prior year. Of course, we're comparing now finally, finally Peacock to Peacock here. The first event on Peacock was, um, was it WrestleMania? It might have been the, the pay-per-view before it, but, but in any event. We're comparing WrestleMania of this year to WrestleMania of last year, both of which were on Peacock, so it's more of a fair comparison. I would strongly expect, and I don't think we have data on this, but I would strongly expect that Peacock had a lot more subscribers in this year during WrestleMania versus last year during WrestleMania. Nonetheless, up 60% of viewership was, and then in May, backlash, WrestleMania backlash, up 49%. That's almost 50. And then in June, Hell in a Cell with Cody's torn pectoral muscle. Up 45%, a little less. And then SummerSlam this year. Uh, this is in Q3, July 30th. Nonetheless, Stephanie revealed it. Up 20% versus SummerSlam of last year. What do you notice about all these deltas, Chris Gullo? They're, they're, they're getting smaller. They're getting smaller. <laughs> Why might they be getting smaller? Um, well, I mean, there's probably less Peacock subscribers. <laughs> there's not less Peacock subscribers, but the growth of Peacock subscribers yeah. is not growing anymore. As of a comparison between Q2 and Q1, that's according to Comcast, right? They, they had 13 million subscribers in Q1, paid subscribers, 13 million in Q1 according to Comcast. How many did they have in Q2? Also 13 million. So no growth. Their monthly active accounts was very slightly down. Now, Q1 might have been extra big for them because they had the Olympics in there. They had the Super Bowl in there. We'll see what Comcast reports in the future. Uh, maybe Q1 was an especially growthy quarter for them maybe they'll continue to grow but maybe they won't we'll see but nonetheless what we're seeing across the streaming ecosystem here including netflix uh including in, in the hbo discovery world i think too uh we're seeing streaming is people who've got who want streaming have kind of got it and, and of course there's a lot of churn because there's not that much friction associated with canceling your streaming subscription has the bubble burst on streaming as far as new streaming services and and these ones getting bigger i feel like this is now maybe we're in the era of merging and we might start to see that with discovery and hbo max we're definitely going to see that with discovery and hbo max come summer of next year those services are going to merge wbd said so in their most recent earnings call um and i mean i I think streaming is over invested in uh somebody's gonna have to figure something out here because streaming is not looking like it's going to be as profitable as cable uh, yeah, a, a lot of things need to play out to make to make this this TV economy, whether it's streaming or traditional, to make this as as, as profitable a business as as you know the legacy model, if you will. Uh, so that's it. WrestleMania attendance. My favorite Q two activity happened every Q two as long as WrestleMania is in Q two. Guess what we can do. We can re- report the uh, WrestleMania attendance figure that isn't the WrestleMania attendance figure. It here's I think I took I think these are the, the slides uh, the slide that we're looking yeah. at right now. I think these I think I took these with my own phone of my TV, probably because there's closed captioning on, which I always have on. Um, WrestleMania Saturday, seventy seven thousand eight hundred and ninety nine attendees at AT and T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, for night one and night two, seventy eight thousand. 453. If you round, that's about 78,000 each day. 78,000 each day. 78,000. Now, that's attendees. Maybe, as Vince McMahon said, just after the, the last Arlington WrestleMania where they announced 101,763 attendees at WrestleMania. 
he did say a couple earnings calls later, well, that includes ushers and ticket takers and things of that nature. Um, so what happens here? We'll look at that slide in a second. So here's the math, if you care. What, what we can do, because of W's own reporting, I didn't make this up. Chris Gullo didn't make it up. Nope. But because of W's own reporting, each year since 2008, they've disclosed this average with WrestleMania in North America, the average without WrestleMania in North America. And then you do the math on the screen, and what you can determine is, uh, within a range, what the, the WrestleMania attendance was. It was about, within a range of, I believe, give or take 5,000. It's about 110,000 total over the two days. They announced, if you combine those 78,000 numbers, I believe that's, that's a total of 156,000 or so paid. This is paid attendance, right? I, I strongly believe that there, these numbers that they put in this KPI slide, again, source, sourced from where? Chris Gull's imagination? Brand Thurston's imagination? No, nope. no, 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 no. Corporate.wwe.com. Click on investor overview. Scroll down. Look at the right. Look at that box on, the, on the, the middle right area of the screen. Click on Key Performance Indicators. Turn to page 7, and you see this slide. And you do the math, and you determine that, no, in terms of paid attendance, in terms of paid attendance, WWE had for WrestleMania about 55,000 people, about 55,000 people, give or take a few thousand, 55,000 people each night. Again, 78, 78,000. Wow, they, they must have had 22,000 comps and ushers and ticket takers and and people in, in, in people's imagination. I think they're just counting all the people that were there for WrestleMania weekend doing non-WrestleMania things. I think they're making a number up. <laughs> um, and I think so 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 and look look at the gap. Um, did we did I put this in, in this in the slides the thing that I want to look at? Yeah. Look at the um this is this is since 2008 that we've been able to do this math based on what WWE itself discloses. And this was the difference between what, between what you can determine for the paid attendance between what they announced was the, the biggest in the history of, of our ability to do this formula since 2008. 36% increase. Um, I, I think when you're in Arlington Stadium, uh, you, there's, maybe there's pressure, although they only, only exaggerated by about 21% in 2016 in the same venue. But anyway... I don't know. Uh, pr- pretty big margin here, in other words. Yeah. Pretty big margin here uh, compared to other WrestleManias in the last, what is that? How many years is that since 2008? 14 years? Yeah. Do you think some of it has to do with them trying to kind of almost glorify WrestleMania because it no longer is their most profitable event? Because their most profitable event, event is Saudi Arabia. But because it's domestic in the U.S., they want to show, yeah, it's not as big as Saudi Arabia money-wise, but it's still, like, so largely attended and nah, so I, I, largely... Po- I mean, it is. It is. It, Saudi Arabia probably is more profitable. It, ha- uh, it has to be. It has cause, to be. It's because it's, like, $50, $50 million for the event. Um, what do you think it costs them to, to put on the Saudi event? Let's be aggressive and say $20 million. That's, that's yeah. like, a $30 million margin. But anyway... Um, I, th- I think WrestleMania is still very profitable for them. If you look at the, the operating income, which is a measure of profitability for the live events division, um, which has pre-pandemic struggled to be profitable. Um, if you if, look at the quarters where WrestleMania happens, which is usually Q2, and suddenly this division that struggles to be profitable is very profitable. I, I believe there, I have it. I can look at it right now. In fact, the operating income for this Q2 
um, was $13.8 million. $13.8 million. Just, just to, to contrast, about a $14 million operating income profit there. Q1, without WrestleMania, of course, but still a pretty good quarter for them in terms of they do pretty well in, in Q1 just because it's, it, I think it's, it's winter and you're leading up to WrestleMania. They only made about $3 million in operating income, in, in profitability, if you will. Again, $3 million in Q1, January to March, $14 million yeah. in April to June. Largely driven by WrestleMania, it has to be. And they, as we just saw, they did great inventing merch as well. So it's, I mean, WrestleMania is still very, a very good business for them. Um, do not to, not to mention they make more in the network revenue line as well because they've got some sort of calculus with with Peacock so that the bigger the pay per view is, the more revenue they get in that quarter for that pay per view. So of course, WrestleMania is the biggest, and they get the biggest payoff for it. Nick Khan mentioned the event, and 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 I don't know if he alluded on this. He did mention the Undertaker live shows, and this might be something that. WWE continues to do live shows and all that. Would that be factored in these? Would this be a different expense or would it be a factor like, hey, yeah, it's under the live events category? And I I guess that would be under the live events category because it's still still a ticketed event, right? Yeah. I I I would think like, but how many people attended that? Hundreds? Yeah, not much, but I mean, that's a high tire ticket value. I mean, and, and if we've seen these things be very successful for other people in wrestling like of course i think this is a business that they're going to continue to grow it's not just going to be undertaker you're going to have you know, triple h card learn to play the game <laughs> yeah like you'll just have all these stage shows and triple h shoots on his relationship with vince <laughs> but yeah no i i'm interested to see because it, it's a very new business for them um it's something that's been happening in wrestling for quite a few years hulk hogan was doing it in 08 with the Hulkamanian friends. <laughs> but uh, uh, it would be interesting to see where, where they report that, record the that. And I'm, you know, it's not going to be huge, huge money, but it's going to be no. it's a live, growing it's, business it's, for it's, them. I believe it's in live events. I don't yeah. know that it's making so much revenue, though, that it even, I mean, what, what, what was the ticket price? It was like even hundreds of dollars. I'm sure. Like I think it hundred. was like, uh, yeah. But if it was like let's say, let's be really aggressive here, let's say it was a two hundred fifty dollar average ticket price times like let's say it was a thousand attendees, that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean that's that's the difference between you know that that that's adding like a point three onto onto their revenue. It's it's relatively yeah. small on their scale, but 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 it's but it's good business if you can make money doing it. If you can make operating income, you make profitability doing it. I mean, how many WrestleMania we- weekends have they seen other people capitalize and do that? And they're like, Star- you know, that's their Starcast, right? Yeah, this is, and this is probably in react. It wasn't Undertaker going to do Starcast, and they said, "Wait a minute." Well, he was going to do Starcast a few years ago, right? And that's then, what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, but uh, yeah, but yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, they were that was their counter event. I think to the, I think it was the same night as the Ric Flair roast, if I'm not mistaken. And I think it was their their counter event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and we'll anyway, move on. Um. These were, by the way, the WrestleTix numbers, which were about 66,000 tickets distributed that WrestleTix could find on the map. So then that's what I believe to be number of people in the building, probably about 66,000. Yeah. And and about 55,000 of those, give or take a thousand, paid. Um, So anyway, uh, but WrestleMania this year, tickets already are next year. I keep saying this year, but next year in L.A., in Inglewood, actually, tickets already on sale. 
Triple H broke the news right on the earnings call, and then they immediately sent out a press release during the earnings call saying, Dateline, Stanford, we've sold 90,000 tickets already to the two-day WrestleMania next year. That is the most tickets we've ever sold in the first 24 hours. Unclear if they mean the first 24 hours, including the, the pre-sale time or the general on-sale time, in any event. Uh, they say that that's a 42% increase over first-day sales for WrestleMania last year. Um, I know Lightshed was talking on their podcast about how high the ticket prices were uh, because we've seen some floor seats priced at like $5,000. I, I saw a screenshot, $10,000 for a floor seat for WrestleMania. Um, I did ask uh, Mr. WrestleTix, though, is, is this out of the norm? Is this more than last year? Um, and I, I, I mean, it's a really high ticket price, but it, it, I think it's on par with what they were doing last year. I don't know if this is a significant increase in any case. Actually, by the way, I don't know what, what WrestleMania last year did for a gate. Um, combined, I mean, I'm sure it did more than the $17.3 million. That is the, the, the record up to that point for WrestleMania, which was the 2016 WrestleMania. $17.3 million in the gate. I'm sure the two-day WrestleMania for 2022 was higher than that, but that's two events. Anyway. Um, WrestleTix, uh, 90,000 paid. Is that a real number? 90,000 tickets sold? Um, the WrestleTix numbers w- w- would support that. Uh, WrestleTix is counting 98,000 tickets distributed. So surely some of those are comps, but you know, 8,000 of them perhaps being comps, that sounds realistic to me out of 90,000. So, so WrestleTix definitely supports this idea that, that WWE has sold 90,000 tickets to WrestleMania already. So that's what per day here. We've got tickets distributed of, of, of about 49,000 out each day as of this was the 15th which was what day of the week last week monday so so yeah the day before the earnings call where they they published this where they published that uh you know where am i here oh where they published ninety thousand. anyway um finally are we an hour in here no uh 47 wb um raised its blackout uh prohibiting all employees from trading stock which they started on July 22nd, the day that Vince McMahon announced his retirement. Uh, WWE sent out a message to all staff saying, you can't trade stock anymore until further notice. They lifted that, I believe, on Thursday. There's a report about that uh, for, for subscribers. Um, stock continues to, to, to climb. I mean, we're looking at this now year to date. It's up 42% year to date. 42% the stock is, as of close of the market on Friday, $71. $71 per share. That is a market capital of about $5.3 billion. So that is the value of all of the shares combined. Um, gives you an idea of what WWE would sell for, uh, I would say, on the low end. Um, to, to truly buy WWE probably going to cost you a lot more than 5.3 billion dollars so uh and by the way this is uh of course continuing to out- outperform me in year to date anyway it's it's outperforming the indexes which are year to date in the negative um in the stock market overall this since june i would say um and certainly throughout july a little bit of a recovery in the stock market in general uh, as as recession everyone's talking about recession uh Stock market is not the economy, but stock market doing better in the last month or so. So anyway, that's it for earnings.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But if you have any questions on that or anything else that we'll cover the rest of the episode, don't be afraid. Make a super chat. You know, uh, any dollar amount. Uh, I think it starts at a, at, at a dollar. But any dollar amount is accepted. But we want to see your questions. And for a very small uh, super chat, we would appreciate it if you guys put your super chats in. Okay. And then on the 17th Wednesday, this past Wednesday, Wall Street Journal had a report. What do they say? What do they report, Chris Call? What do they report? Well, they reported that uh, the WWE's board found Vince McMahon paid $5 million to Donald Trump's charity, something we discussed in detail last week. Yes, if if you listened to this program last week or read my article last week, you knew knew this already. You knew this was – well, we didn't report it as fact because I cannot prove it as fact, but you knew this was coming. Uh, I didn't (laughs) – just – that's normally me that makes the big loud noise. <laughs> I just, I just spilled some coffee. But anyway, um, as, as as my hubris was was looming here, uh, but based on W's disclosure that Vince McMahon paid a total of five million dollars to somebody in two thousand seven, and then in a, a second payment in two thousand nine, uh, it was all but certain, very likely, that it was Donald Trump and. Uh, Wall Street Journal was able to actually confirm that. So they say things like this. People familiar with the board investigation said that the $5 million payment uh, represented charitable donations to the now-dissolved Donald J. Trump Foundation in the same two years that the then-real estate developer made appearances at W. televised events. An attorney for W. said that the payments to Mr. Trump should have been booked as business expenses because Mr. McMahon was a principal shareholder and the payments benefited the company. The attorney declined to say why the payments benefited WB was this is me interjecting interjecting now was WB uh, was Donald Trump more incentivized was, was this sort of an, an, an implied payment for his appearances in 2007 at WrestleMania and around WrestleMania and in his 2009 appearances on Raw where he purchased Raw and then sold it back and storyline to Vince at a profit um Mr. Trump had his associates review the contract from 2007, 
to ensure that under no circumstances would Mr. McMahon be allowed to shave Donald Trump's head, even if Mr. Trump's wrestler, Bobby Lashley, dropped dead in the ring, a person said. The person familiar with, with the contract said. Um, so, Donald Trump foreseeing a double cross here and, and said, I, I know what happened in Montreal in 1997, Vince. It's not going to happen to me. People are saying that uh, he might screw me. So Donald Trump not allowing himself to be uh, to have his head shaved. Uh, but uh, let's see here. There was also WWE. Uh, WWE also did WWE confirm this after the event? He boasted his appearance had been such such a success that Mr. McMahon agreed to pay him an additional one million dollars. The person said an attorney for WWE did not dispute the contributions were related to Mr. Trump's appearances, but challenged the notion that the one million dollars was a bonus for the success of the event. Uh, now, this is a quote from Jerry McDivitt in email to the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Trump and WWE entered into a contract whereby WWE a- agreed to pay him personally an appearance fee of $1 million. Jerry McDivitt, the attorney, said in an email. At the same time, the McMahons made a personal contribution to the foundation of $4 million. There was no additional fee paid to Mr. Trump or any additional additional contribution to the Trump Foundation due to the success of the event. So it seems that there they're referring to the 2007 appearance so and payment. Do we, do we know no money of 09 then? Read on. Mr. Trump received a $100,000 oh, fee okay. for his appearance on WWE Raw in 2009, while at the same time, quote-unquote, Mr. McMahon and his wife made a, made a $1 million donation to Mr. Trump to the Mr. Trump Foundation that year, McDivitt said. So I, so I guess what McDivitt is saying here, for WrestleMania in 2007, hair versus hair, he was paid a million dollars. At the same time, the McMahons made personal contributions of four million. So one million to him personally as an appearance fee, McDivitt says. And then for some reason, which we can debate, I suppose, they made a four million dollar contribution, which is, which is what's in the, in the IRS filings. Yeah. And then they're saying... In 2009, he was paid a, an appearance fee of $100,000 for the raw appearances. I believe one was on video and then one was in person. While at the same time, Mr. McMahon and his wife, Linda, made a $1 million contribution. Yeah, because I want to say 100000 sounds light for him at that point. Because that was, at that point, uh, The Apprentice was huge. So that's that's what we know. So I, I you know, I'm I'm glad the Wall Street Journal was able to confirm that. Um, maybe we were discussing last week whether or not we would ever find out, and I was saying something about well, maybe if they disclose the, the actual documentation of their investigation, maybe we'll find out. I now doubt that we're going to see any documentation from their investigation. Um, by the way, uh, analysts could have asked some questions, not just about the investigation, but just about the you know the future of the company and a little bit more about how Vince, how Vince's exit changes things and. Um, Maybe a little bit more about uh, the notion of a sale and who who exactly is taking over what duties uh, for Vince. To to what extent? Let's follow up on on what Stephanie just said about a little bit of a hold on ads and sponsorships. Can you reassure us that that the scandal here is not going to impact business? Um, maybe some some things of that nature. Uh, but uh, nobody mentioned Vince's name among the analysts. Stephanie mentioned him, you know, unprompted. Although she did mention him in, in, in one of her in her response to Brandon Ross. Anyway, moving on. 
the G1 Climax ended yep. with Okada, uh, Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay in the, in the final. Um, so from, from day one on through the final, Chris, go uh, take us through. I know you have star ratings ready. Well, uh, I'll keep I'll keep it uh, short and sweet here. Oh, oh, Okada I know winning you're his watching every every night second GPW World <laughs> Okada winning his second in a row climax. Is this number four? Right, I believe this is number four. He's now ch- tied with Chono. Yeah, t- tied with Masiro Chono. Um, uh, but but I think we the bigger question is Brandon is New Japan Pro Wrestling creating new stars. <laughs> I think, and that might actually, I joke, but that might actually have to be a serious conversation. I don't know. Um, what, what, what I do have prepared to look at here is the attendance. So WWE, I'm ready to WWE, New Japan does publish their attendances, at least almost all of their Japanese attendances um, on their website. Um, and they have, we believe, so our belief is that, and I believe this is consistent with something that, um, Takaki Kadani, who's the CEO of Bushiroad, has said, uh, or the chairman, if, if I forget exactly what his title is. But so New Japan attendance is, we believe, since April 29th, 2015, we believe these attendances are, I believe they are reflective of total attendance, including comps. So not reflective of paid attendance. I believe that based on looking at Bushiroad filings and the Bushiroad disclosures about New Japan's attendance being a little bit lower um, than than what I calculate out for what they've reported on the website. So anyway, I think this includes comps. In any case, assuming that that, that the comping has been consistent over time, um, we can we can get an impression of what attendance has been like over these years for the G1 Climax. So G1 Climax has been between 18 and 20 events. They did 20, which is one more than they usually do in this year. And the total attendance was about 48,000. 48,000. Um, now, remember, in, New J- in Japan, um, there are still restrictions in terms of there's no cheering still. No cheering in Japan still. Claps. Clapping only. I believe they're doing some shows upcoming where, where you can cheer, but then it's still got to be spaced out. In any case, this was about half this total attendance was about half of what they did in 2019, which was the last pre-pandemic, um, or excuse me, well, it's just, just over half uh, in 2018. In 2018, they did about 91,000. In 2019, they went down a little bit to 85,000. And this year, doing 48,000 in total attendance, an average of about 2,400. So that would be like that would be lower than than really anything WWE does. Anything that AEW does, um, it'd be lower than a, than probably an average house show. Uh, the highest was a sixty-four thousand, excuse me, sixty-seven thousand, which is probably I don't know, but it was probably one of the Budokan nights. Um, the lowest was a one thousand one hundred and twenty-eight um, attendance. So anyway, New Japan's attendance is way down. Now, why is is it the product? I would think a, a, you know some of this at least it could be the, the product and, and just the product being less hot, but some of this at least. Um, I think we have to attribute to the pandemic. Now, I think I've asked people who know more about Japanese wrestling scene and what's happening in Japan, who know more than I do about that. And I've asked, you know, is capacity, are we at full capacity for all these events? And it it depends on the venue and the municipality. Uh, So it's, it's all different. 
but I would think that there's probably still some hesitancy just in terms of like, do I feel safe going into a large gathering here at this point? Um, And I think there's some hesitancy about, do I want to go to an event where I can only clap? That might not be as much fun. Did Wrestle Kingdom have full capacity this earlier this year? I don't think so. I would I would imagine 2023 probably will. So Wrestle Kingdom last year was two events. Yes. Well, didn't they, didn't they have like the third event too, like randomly later too? I believe, I believe that's the Noah New Japan show. Yeah. Uh, but Wrestle Kingdom this year, thank God, will be one event. One one event for Wrestle Kingdom. So anyway, that's what's happening here. Um, when will when will people be allowed to cheer and attend in full capacity in Japan? I have no idea. Um, did you watch any of this New Japan? I Climax. Not. When's the last time you watched New Japan? Oh, admit it. Admit it. Honestly, probably 2019 before the pandemic, I guess. Yeah. I'll admit it. I, I mean, I've seen clips and stuff and all that. And you, you, all you look that. at the gifts online. Oh, you can't look at the gifts online. Tiviasi, he says, hell no. Take them down. <laughs> um, I, I did turn on the final. I, I watched bits of the final and uh, I listened to a lot of people talk about it. That's how I, fo- I followed the Jew on this year. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, match quality. So I looked at cage match. I thought this was interesting. I looked at cage match. And I said, give me the top 10 matches on cage match in terms of the match ratings, the voters, the voters vote on it on a 10 point scale. And I say, give me the, the G1 each year, the G1 since 2013, which I think to be about the beginning of this glory era of yeah. Japan, 2013. Give me the top 10. Give me the top 10 matches from the G1 based on those match ratings. And let's look at it over time. And I think this is consistent with my intuition is that in 2013, uh, it, it starts getting better and better and better and better and better. And then it peaks in 2019. And then in 2020, now we're into the COVID era, it gets lower. And uh, 2021 and 2022 were about on par with each other. Although the, the final had a very high rating for this year um, between Okada and, and Osprey. But, uh, you know, I, I think this is reflective of, I like to, to think and talk a lot about all Japan in the 90s. And... I think, you know, in the in the same in the same breath, we should we should talk about New Japan in the 2010s, you know. And this is this I can see, you can see here at least with an impression from the G1 climax where this peaks peaks at the very end of that decade, and you know, COVID has really uh, compromised their creative output and and their their business clearly. Um, just the, the the lack of of, of cheering is, is is tough for them, but you know, I'm not going to blame anybody for being being more safe rather than less safe. Maybe mm-hmm. if the rest of the world had um, been as cautious as Japan, maybe we would have uh, cheering in Japan again by now. But anyway, but I mean, to my point earlier, you know, the stars on top now were the same stars on top a few years ago, and we've had Shingo had a little bit of a a run there, and he was came out of left field. But other than that, they elevated Ibushi. Now you know, she is uh, yeah on the outs. So, it, it, but it's been your your typical your your Okadas, your Naitos, your they, they, they your lost Kenobis. Omega, which is a big loss, especially yeah. in, in the mindset of a a global international strategy. You get a bilingual top star there. Yeah, I mean, I I think the and then it goes to say not, not a big guys. fan of the great Okan or evil. I th- I honestly thought Sonata would have been a bigger star by now there i really thought he would have been elevated 
I thought he was the next the next great one, and I, I guess I was wrong. But well, well, I'm not going to analyze New Japan yeah. after, we, after we both just admit it's almost never watched. Yeah. So anyway, um, is that all I have for New Japan? Well, we've got some Google Trends, so let's look at the Google Trends for Japan. And we can see, you know, we've got this dotted line here, which is the current week. These are weekly data points that we're looking at here. But we can see back in the years of 2018, this is, it was at its highest point in this picture, in this five-year picture. That's what this is. It's a five-year picture uh, for just Japan, so just their, their domestic market. And it's a little bit lower in 19, consistent with attendance. And it's a little bit lower in, in uh, 2020, which is now the COVID era. And then it's a little bit lower in 2021. And maybe maybe we're going to end up a little bit lower for uh, for this year, but we'll see. We'll see how that ends up uh, in a few days. Probably we'll be able to, to view that uh, in, in a, on a worldwide basis. Eh, similar story. Maybe this year and last year are a little bit more equal, but declining, right? Uh, U.S., if we want to look at the biggest uh, English-speaking market here, uh, similar similar trends here. Getting a little bit lower and maybe, maybe a little bit more equal when it comes to uh, this year and last year. So just uh, it, it affirms something that I think is that you know just New Japan's the interest in New Japan, especially internationally, has has declined in recent years and and has definitely uh, declined coinciding with with COVID. So there's that. NXT UK, how's NXT UK doing? Um, you been watching that? How's that? How uh, it's, that? it's 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 uh, well, if they canceled their last set of TV tapings, and that's where people thought was the sign. And then on Wednesday or Tuesday, I'm sorry, uh, a bunch of NXT UK stars showed up on NXT. <laughs> and then we get this news this week. I think Thursday did it break or fr- Thursday, right? Thursday or Friday, That's, I can't remember. That sounds about right. NXT um, is NXT yeah. UK is uh, going to be relaunched yep. as NXT Europe. Um, we're not getting rid of people. We're it's a reorganization. We're reimagining it. Okay. NXT Europe is going to relaunch and be reimagined in next year. So uh, uh, shortly after this announcement, which, by the way, uh, I understand, I think PW Insider has reported that this is not a new position for him, a new title for him, but he's had it for a couple of years. But this is the first time I saw any public trace of it, that Shawn Michaels is the vice president of talent creative development, creative talent development or something like that. Uh, something that doesn't quite make grammatical sense, but nonetheless, he is a vice president, Shawn Michaels. I wonder if it's a lot like so in sports, the assistant GM in the NHL is really the GM of the AHL team, and it's whatever. It's like because he's the he's the head of creative of, of of NXT now. It seems to be so that's why he's the vice president of all creative. Yeah. So it, it, we need to remind people that it was in 2018 at the Business Partners Summit. Paul Levesque walked out on the stage and said, "Here, here's the map. I'm going to make a global territory system because you know." We've, we've gone global, and now all the territories are gone. We have no place to get talent from. No place. There's nowhere that talent comes from now except for unless we make performance centers all over the world. And then in January, uh, I believe it was 2018. Is that correct? January 2018, for no reason other than to develop talent, we decided to launch an NXT UK, a performance center in the UK, for no reason other than there's no talent out there. And they did. And now NXT, you know, it's it's uh, they're just going to make it even bigger and better because it's going to be Europe now, correct? Well, no, and uh, I think you know we don't have any slides for it, but I think it has to be said that uh, there was a lot of releases that came yes. out, um, highlighted by I think Trent Seven, 
Zaya Brookside, um, Mark Andrews slash Morgan yes. Webster. Yes. Some pretty prominent stars in the United Kingdom. And uh, it, it sounds like if you're not being brought over to NXT, and by the way, they, they confirmed that there's going to be the PLE on September 4th in the afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern yeah. start time. So the, the day after the Cardiff show in the UK, which is like a 3 p.m. start time, they're going to do it on a Sunday, 4 p.m. start time. The Worlds Collide premium live event for just NXT. So not going head to head with all, all out. But it sounds like if you're not, you know, they brought over some people like Tyler Bate. But if you're not part of that crew... Yes, some twenty wrestlers sound like they have parted ways with WWE. And it seemed—I mean, I mean, the UK indie scene was pretty depleted after this happened. So it'll be interesting to see how that grows. Um, I had a question: Do you know the, the much about the TV deal out there with BT Sport and all that? Like, it wasn't there some conflict of interest of because that's why AEW couldn't get on BT Sport because they had the NXT UK television. If I remember that correctly, well, AW is on ITV. Yeah. Okay. Um, it looks like Dynamite might be more viewed than either Raw or SmackDown. I would have to double check on that. Um, and our UK friends will 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 tell us if we're wrong. Yeah. They're, they're well, and that's why I bring it out there. I want to be corrected. <laughs> um. So, WWE is on television in the UK on BT Sport and on yeah. Channel Five, which is higher reach the ladder. Um. They got I, I, so it looks like Morgan Stanley believes, and I know Sport Business had an article way way back that's beyond a paywall, and I never really got to see it. But it looks like they got a downgrade in their TV deal in the last round. So the the round that began paying them in 2020 when they moved off of Sky and onto BT Sports slash Channel Five, um, they got a downgrade in their TV deal. Um, I don't know what else you want to know. They were they were ta- taping TV post pandemic or during pandemic, whatever. Um, in the BT Sports studio. And my question is, is, did that NXT probably UK. keep NXT UK probably profitable? Because we thought it was going to go under in the no, pandemic I mean, when all these releases happened. Do, do, profitable in, in, in maybe, context. Maybe not profitable. It kept it afloat. Like if they had to honor it. Maybe they didn't shut it down. They shut it down now instead of shutting it down a year ago, two years ago, because they had to honor that TV deal with BT Sport. Could be. I don't know. You know. It would be interesting to look at when did they start taping there, and does that line up in the calendar with when they're stopping taping there? Uh, that could be, uh, but I don't. I don't. I, it would take me a minute to look that up. Um, but yeah, um, but but it was all worth it because at least World Sport doesn't doesn't exist, um, which which is what I was snidely alluding to. Uh, so World of Sport was going to be this new TV show, I believe, on ITV that was you know a, a reprisal of of the great world of sport from the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Some of the best wrestling you'll you'll find, in my opinion. Uh, with, uh, this is why they brought back Johnny Saint and stuff. But anyway, there's going to be a new, you know, the, at this time, you know, the, the indies were great in, in the UK. There's a lot, of, a lot of positive momentum around the UK indie scene. Progress. ICW. Wow. And World of Sport was coming up, and they were going to do it. They were going to get a TV deal on IWTV, and whoa. WWE said, I don't think so. And uh, they launched the NXT UK brand and signed up a lot of talent. Um, so at least there wasn't a world of sport competitor out there. So anyway. Uh, Triple H, watch. Speaking of, uh, of Triple H's endeavors, uh, what's the latest with Triple H here? Uh, Triple H is now the head of creative. He's been 
the head of creative. Vince McMahon is no longer the head of creative. I feel, I feel like I'm in a dream here. Uh, since July 29th or so. TV ratings? Uh, is there any, anything we can read out of TV ratings here? I think not really. Uh, the SmackDown was partially preempted in many markets last Friday. It was partially preempted in a few markets this past Friday. Uh, so SmackDown's a little bit compromised, but I would say, if nothing else, we can say, well, the ratings are holding up just fine. The ratings are doing okay in terms of Raw and SmackDown. Uh, even NXT, NXT did a really good rating for NXT uh, with the Heat Wave special episode of, of NXT this past Tuesday. Um, did their best total viewership, I believe, since the Halloween Havoc episodes way back in October, almost a year ago. Um, and the and we can see that the demo suffered and on SmackDown in this partial preempted episode two Fridays ago. Uh, but you know, I, I could say that maybe if you look at the demo, you know, this is doing pretty well. The, these two, if, we're, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see these two episodes of Raw that, uh, that were approaching, you know, 700,000 viewers in the demo. The, these were the, the, the episodes, I believe, surrounding, well, this is just before July. This, these are the episodes surrounding, um, you know, Vince McMahon, uh, the, the, the scandal surrounding Vince McMahon and the original reports in uh, June from the Wall Street Journal where they did some good ratings just because I think people were had WWE top of mind. Anyway, the Raw ratings have been on par with, with back then and have been doing better than these episodes back here in the demo. So, I don't know. I would wait a little bit longer before uh, trying to make some, some conclusions here. And really, you know, viewership numbers are very misleading anyway. And um, I would look more so. Here's, you want a straightforward look at how these TV shows are doing? Look at this chart. Look at this chart. I've, I've debated. You know, these tweets that I, I put out every day. And W Raw last night on the USA Network from 8 to, to 11 had this many viewers and did this demo. I've debated, and then I put the line chart in there. Uh, I've debated leading with this chart because this is the chart that really tells you the story. Yeah. You don't have to decode. Um, and you know, look topsy turvy, it's consistency. And, you know, you know, TV is a declining metric, you know, and what does it really mean that, that you know, the TV, it was down, but, and it's down from last year, but what does that really mean? Anyway, if we look at all the, the cable originals, all the broadcast prime time, that is all the data that we get from Showbiz Daily on a daily basis. How did SmackDown do? SmackDown has been number one for five weeks in a row. We'll see what it does on uh, when it reports this coming Monday for what it did on Friday. Uh, Raw has been number two for four weeks in a row. That will be changing soon when the NFL starts up again in September. But Raw and SmackDown are holding up pretty well in terms of their ranking. I mean, more than pretty well. They're holding just fine here in, in this yellow outlined Triple H era. Um, now, how do people feel? What is what is the, the sentiment out there? Um. I put out this poll, which I understand got a very strong reaction. Um, I asked, since Paul Levesque took over creative in late July, have main roster WWE programs gotten better? These are the four options. Twitter only lets you do four options. Number one, it's about the same. Number two, at least somewhat better. Number three, at least somewhat worse. Or number four, I just haven't really watched, so I can't vote. And uh, basically, basically, we got we got just over one percent of people saying it got somewhat worse. We got seven percent of the people saying it's the same, and seventy-eight percent, super majority, saying it's at least somewhat better. At least somewhat better. So maybe you think it's way better. I voted at least somewhat better. You voted. What did you, you vote for? 
I voted at least somewhat better. Um, uh, have you been watching? Uh, I, I'll be honest. I haven't watched a lot of SmackDown, but I've watched a lot of Raw. Um, Friday nights, I'm usually out of the house and something's going on. But Monday nights, I seem to be like, yeah, I need someone to watch on TV. And I've been watching Raw uh, since Triple H took over. And it's it's more enjoyable television. Is it historically good? And I'm oh, I remember that Raw episode. No, but it I enjoy it. It's appeasing more to my taste in wrestling. So for what this is worth, these are my as a lot of these people are not my followers, I'm sure, who are voting in this uh, based on how people reacted to, the, to this, this tweet poll. But anyway, we got 6,490 votes as of a little while ago is when I took this screenshot. Um, so for what's that, what that's worth, a lot of people on Twitter think it's a lot. I think it's at least somewhat better now. Um, how about cage match? We've got, uh, you know, the cage match uh, voters, which is like we're continuing to get about 100 voters for Raw. They're getting 70, 50 voters for SmackDown, but they're continuing to rate these episodes generally more highly than the episodes before Paul Levesque takes over. This Raw, in fact, got an 8.4, which is, wow. If, if, so I'm looking at everything since years to date. Yes. And 8.4 for this past Monday's Raw, at least when I took this screenshot last night. Do we even have an 8? on the screen. Do we even have a seven on the screen in the Vince era year to date? We don't. We don't. There's no seven here. Nope. I could round up and get to a seven with this, you know, six point eight five, six point seven. But there's there's nothing that's a seven point oh or greater. Everything in the Triple H era for Raw is a seven point there's only four. Okay. Everything. There's four weeks. Seven point oh or greater. This past month it was was the highest yet. Eight point four what that's worth now i think that what does that really mean now we can say yeah, if you had people in cage match this is just a vote minority you don't really matter that's what vince would say right but i mean you've got at least it, it, you don't even need to consider their opinion absolutely but you consider the difference in their opinion right it goes from lower to higher okay uh what does smackdown do smackdown has gone from lower in the vince era higher in the triple h era okay again not a massive sample here right we're, we're dealing with between 52 and 71 voters here. I wish it was bigger. If you, if you, if you know somewhere where there's a, a larger sample, let me know, and I'll look at it. Uh, but we're in, you know, the, this this second smack on the Triple H era only did a 6.3. Only did a 6.3. That's still, even that 6.3 is better than most of the SmackDowns in the, in the Vince area in 2022. And everything else is, you know, over a 7.3. 7.3 or better. And that's better than almost all of these SmackDowns, with the exception of this June 10th SmackDown, which got a 7.7, which I believe you mentioned last week. Conclusion here, cage match voters think that, that this era so far is decidedly better. There's, there's coincidentally more wrestling on this show, too. Um, almost every episode of Raw and almost every episode of SmackDown since Triple H took over have more minutes of wrestling than the other episodes, at least since WrestleMania. More wrestling. That's weird. Wrestling's so dumb. I wish we could just get rid of the ring and the wrestlers. Make it entertainment. Just all promos. But anyway, that's that. That's the Triple H watch for the week. Moving on. Big Ten. You're going to tell us about the Big Ten? One billion dollars. One billion dollars a year. A year. Mm -hmm. Average. A year. Average, yeah. It, It... At the minimum, this deal will make $7 million. Reading on it, it can make up to 
uh, I'm sorry, seven billion. I'm reading on it, I can make up to ten billion. Um, I I think that might have to do with even further expansion. How many years is a steal? Seven years, and it's it. All the networks got involved: uh, Fox, CBS, NBC, uh, all got involved, which also includes Peacock and FS. No ESPN. No ESPN. No ESPN or ABC will not be part of this. Uh, they they though, have been though up until now though, right? Yes, they though are going to host the top SEC football game starting 2024, and I think. You know, this isn't a college football podcast. By the way, but this deal goes into effect next year, correct? Yes. So, all, so ESPN is still going to have Big Ten this year. This year, yes. This is for the twenty three twenty four season. What, what, uh, what teams, what, what colleges are in the Big Ten? Just name a couple. Um, yeah, you got your Michigans, your Ohio States, your Nebraskas, and now you got your UCLA and your State. USC's. The Ohio okay. State. You got your Purdue's and... Your Illinois and, and your Northwesterns and you know it's and uh, the the sources say from reading in New York Times that the they are not done expanding that they're going to continue teams. to expand more teams the the general belief in college football experts and I I listen to a lot of this is that it, we're going to end up with three conferences when it's all said and done the Big Ten the SEC and everybody else. Everybody else, will, all the mid majors will be in like one super mid major. Um. So, what's ESPN going to do? Are they going to do a deal with the ACC? Well, they they have SEC rights now. Yes, like but they already I mean, had SEC. Yes, correct? yeah, but it's I think not they, new. Maybe they try to get more, all the SEC rights when they go up. The, the problem with the ACC contract is they have that, but that's going until the 2030s. <laughs> ACC kind of screwed themselves. So they already have ACC locked up. Yes, yes. Okay. When, when, it, does, when does SEC come up? Nick Khan made that deal. Yeah, that's a good question. SEC, I don't know. Um, I do know the Pac-12 is coming up, but, well, mm. what what's less of the Pac-12, um, the future on that is very uncertain. Uh, deal, some SEC T-Rex deal. Let's see here. Um, they may have. Okay, so uh, this was a fairly new deal that starts in 2024, where ABC, ESPN will uh, get majority rights to the marquee games. So they have a new deal that stars in effect 2024. Yeah, and that is going to be three billion. So what, what's what's bit bigger? What's a bigger deal at this point? Big Ten or the SEC? Um. It, it, no, no, it, I mean, like, who, who are the bigger names who, who, in terms of the teams that they have? Is, is that up for debate? It's up for debate because you, you basically Alabama and Ohio State are your probably two most famous college football teams. And Alabama's in the SEC and Ohio State. But Alabama, I mean, SEC also just got Texas. So this is not Oklahoma. like AFC, NFC in terms of just the name value. Where the, um, it, it, the thing is, so it's a power move, right? So the SEC adds Texas and Oklahoma. So the Big Ten goes and adds UCLA and USC. Okay, it's it, it's a power move. Yeah, it looks like this is a ten year deal, um, which they're going to get about three hundred million a year. So that is not that. Who's getting? Who's them? SEC. Okay. So they're probably after seeing this, they are probably uh, definitely kicking themselves. So Big Ten not going to ESPN. Obviously, it's going. Let's just put it back on the screen here. It's going to. CBS, also known as Paramount, formerly known as Viacom. It's going to Fox. 
and it's going to NBC, including Peacock, Fox, including FS1, and Fox Broadcast, right? Um, so, I know there's some, probably some streaming here that we're not going to unpack, but and there's Big Ten Network as well. It's not Lee yes. but anyway, um, which is part of Fox. Fox is the backer for that. So in 2024, there's going to be some programming space that's going to be not occupied by the Big Ten for ESPN. Yes. Um, but that's where they'll probably fill it in. They're going to have the 2024. They get more marquee games of the SEC. CBS got the majority of the marquee games in the old SEC TV. TV this includes field. basketball, too, right? Yes. Okay. Which, I mean... Basketball, it's profitable, but I mean, the NCAA tournament for CBS is probably what really. But the tournament is a different thing. These, yeah. This would be regular season. Yeah, regular basketball. season conference games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, so yeah, so those game, those slots are going to be filled by SEC games where hmm. CBS used to have SEC marquee games. So. I guess this does this mean anything for wrestling in terms of so, sort of where, where I'm seeing if we can steer this and maybe we just can't is that does does ESPN not having as much college football which maybe they have just as much or more does that make does that make ESPN any more of a suitor for WWE or AEW? And I'm thinking it's, it's not going to be the mothership. Let's not dilute. Well, that's not, the thing. Let's I, not make people say that Russell Alex was talking about WWE or AEW going going on ESPN linear. ESPN 2, ESPN no. Plus. ESPN 2 and ESPN Plus would be, but, you know, we talk about reach and, like, does Tony Khan or WWE, we want to do that because that does decrease well, the reach. ESPN 2 is in a lot, is in just as many homes as ESPN, the mothership is. But it's just not as popular. Like, people don't talk about true. ESPN 2. Very true. But but if David Zaslav is like, hey, I'm just like Jamie Kellner, I hate wrestling, and you got to go somewhere. <laughs> Paramount. We don't talk about Paramount enough. And now, now remember, I, I got to remind people every time we bring up other potential suitors for wrestling, yeah. it's, it's not just about whether or not you're going to go there. It's about whether or not they're going to make an aggressive bid that encourages others to make yes. more aggressive bids. Uh, but I think I I don't know Paramount's the, like the one major one that doesn't have anything to do with wrestling right now, and uh, we'll uh, and then they don't have any any more great reach platforms, you know, than than the than ESPN two is. It's very comparable, right? If we were talking about like I don't know the Paramount TV network or maybe or we see AEW on MTV, yeah, yeah. First call is on the MTV train. Yeah, I would rather. I think they should do MTV over Paramount. Uh, that's just my opinion, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, 2.3 X increase for the big 10 in their average annual value. 2.3 X, 2.3 X. How does that compare? How does that stack up to everybody else right now? That is, that's, that's uh that's, you know, we've got formula one just came in with, with a much lower deal going to a much higher deal. 16.5 X upgrade for the formula one. I took the meaning of what the range is that's been reported by, I believe sports business journal. Or maybe it was deadline. Anyway, um, but everybody's—it it seems like you know the, the higher, the bigger your deal is, the smaller your upgrade is, with the exception of yeah. the MLB. Maybe and I have no idea, but maybe part of the issue with the MLB most recent deal is that, um, and I know some of it was for more games, but maybe that maybe the aging of the audience or something. But uh, but in any case, they still got a ten percent upgrade. Uh, NFL's most recent deal, they only got a 50% upgrade, but nonetheless, they went from $7 billion to $10.2 billion. 
Uh, so anyway, everybody's continuing to get an upgrade. How does this compare to the most recent deals? Again, uh, Formula One got a 16.5x upgrade. Before that, Premier League got a 2.7x upgrade. Who's before that? The NHL got tripled. The NHL got tripled. What's next? Who's, who's next up? Who's next up? Uh, I mean, AEW would be next up, right? Because MLS just made their deal. What did we do? Uh, should have MLS on here. What did MLS do? Um, I mean, it did get an increase. I don't think it was as much as they wanted, but, uh, but yeah, MLS uh, just did their so, deal. So I'm <sighs> trying to think of the next big deal up. I think it I, is. I, yeah, I think. Who, I don't think there's a bigger deal on the horizon in terms of AAV than WWE. Yeah. I mean, we got Pac-12 football, but we don't know what the Pac-12 future is. I mean, they took out the two teams from Los Angeles, so. But that that's the next college football deal. Okay. Um, we'll see. It's, it, your, your move, David Zasloff. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, Brian, is it Stetler? Stelter. Stelter from CNN got dropped. Sesame Street. Some episodes yep. of Sesame Street got cut. Out of, out of there. HBO Max. Hope you, hope you watched all your old Sesame Street episodes because they're gone now. What's next? You know what they're going to cut next, don't you? You know what they're going to cut next? Dave Zaslav, he's, he's, he's got the knife out. He's getting ready. He's getting ready. I can't see AEW being canceled. Them going back there, I don't know. But I, I think this, if anything, this tells you that there will be no Ring of Honor on HBO Max or Discovery+. Plus. Who knows? Um, no, AEW, I, I don't know that that would be legal. I don't know if, that, if their contract precludes that. I I highly, highly doubt that AEW is going to be canceled before their deal is up. Anyway, um, and I'm more, I would more so believe that they've already had their option renewed uh, because that is, that is an option that is to the network. Anyway, that's all we got for this week. Thumbs up, share and subscribe, help people uh, find this. If if more people have been listening last week, they would have already known what the Wall Street Journal was going to report. They already known that information. Um, You've got to, you got a shirt to sell? Yeah, uh, they finally did it, and my pro wrestling tea store was accepted. So we we threw a design on there, uh, the Bowtie Mafia. It's in honor of some of the people who listen to our show that say they're members of the Bowtie Mafia. So thank you guys. Really? Oh wow! And uh, yeah, you can get that shirt at uh, pro pro wrestling tees uh, dot com slash chris gello. Um, and then of course, rediscovering indies. You can check on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we got a uh, Dragon Gate Part Two coming out this. Dragon Gate USA Part Two coming out this month here. And then of course, Chris Gello at Instagram, Twitter, and, and Facebook. Check me out. Uh, my wrestling appearances and comedy appearances, and who knows what else I'm getting into. And uh, on Patreon.com/slash/WrestleNomics, this past week we had a report on. Uh, W employees being allowed to trade shares again. We had key takeaways. All this stuff was just for subscribers. Key takeaways from the W earnings call. Uh, just $5 a month. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And in addition to the TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day, in addition to the spreadsheet, the massive spreadsheet of all the TV ratings going back to late 2014. And uh, who's a draw every month? The slides to all the podcasts we do, including this one. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Um, that's it. Our Russell Honors contributor is Jason Umpser, who helped me with the quarter hours. Oh, yes, quarter, quarter hours. You want quarter hours? They're out there for subscribers right now for um, everything from late last month through this past Thursday. Quarter hours are out there, which Jason helped me helped me produce. Uh, other contributors include Chris Ely, 
Jesse Collings. Uh, Jesse, Jesse was invited to, to come on the show, but he was, he was out of town, unavailable. Well, I'm sure we'll have him on again in the future. Our technical consultant who continues to manage our ratings game to predict the, the Dynamite demo is Phil Chertok. Thanks, as always, to John Pollock and Waiting of Post Wrestling, to Corey Gibson, to Showbiz Daily, to WrestleTix. Chris Harrington created WrestleNomics some years ago, and WrestleNomics is distributed in cooperation with Post Wrestling and supported by listeners and viewers like you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 